0: It is a privilege and a joy. Sorry, setting up my space. <laughs> to be It's a privilege and a joy to be invited to be with you guys this evening. Um, I don't know, I just got a bit emotionally overwhelmed. <laughs> um, if I can get a second. There are some women, as I reflect on my journey, black women, In particular who every time I have been in their presence I have felt that I have been in the presence of the Holy Um, and I have no doubt that Lisa Yoboa is one of those women um, a true mystic of sorts and sage and she just has the way of creating a space that is so gentle so loving so excited, but also makes you feel deeply loved. So you guys have an amazing pastor, um, and I'm honored that you would have me here. Kiana it's also there's such amazing work at Duke Chapel, and I'm so excited to see her in this space. Um, I'm so excited to see what God will continue to do in her ministry. Telling you, uh, all of the interns have been amazing, but Kiana, you definitely set the bar (laughs) for sure. So hardworking. It's amazing to see. Also, a classmate, Matthew, Matthew Case. So glad to see you. He's always one of the best dressed men in Duke Divinity. (laughs) He is still holding it down (laughs) for sure. I won't be long at all this evening. I want us to look at this passage in the Gospel of Mark as we think about this idea of black and queer theologies, contextual theologies, theologies that pay attention to the world around us. Mark the 12th chapter, and I'll read the 28th through the 31st verse, and then I'll add an additional passage from the Old Testament. As I was in Bible study with students yesterday, I realized that I needed to make some shifts to this presentation tonight. And you can listen on. And one of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus replied saying, the most important one is Israel, listen, our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And the second is this you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And now let's look at Exodus. If you have very familiar passage, just read one verse. We won't be too long. Exodus the third chapter and the fourteenth verse. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites that I am has sent me to you. God, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Beloved, in our passage today, we find a young legal expert, or scribe, as some translations call it, watching Jesus in a dispute or a dialogue with other scribes. This was not uncommon in this culture. People had disputes, debates, and dialogues in the public square or the city center all the time. And when this young scribe found himself impressed with the ways that Jesus responded to being interrogated and questioned, he approached Jesus with a question of his own. He came over to Jesus and asked him which commandment is the first or which commandment is the greatest. Scripture tells us not that Jesus scolded him. Scripture tells us not that Jesus reprimanded him. Scripture tells us not that Jesus rebuked him, but scripture says that Jesus engaged with this question. It matters not only that a question was asked, but Mark wants us to pay special attention to who is asking the question. You see, this man is a scribe. Scribes were members of the learned or educated class in society. They were the smartest of the smart. They studied to be experts of the law. In fact, they were the people who interpreted and sometimes wrote the law. Here you have a man that is supposed to be an expert on the law, having the humility to ask Jesus about it. Here you have a man who is supposed to be one of the most brilliant and educated minds of his society. Yet in a context where he is expected to argue and prove that he has the answers, he finds it more useful to approach Jesus with his own questions. And if Jesus was not offended or bothered by his questions, why do so many of us believe that it offends God when we wrestle with our own? We live in a culture where so many are concerned with being right that they have lost sight of how to be curious so many would rather argue their positions and debate their beliefs about God rather than sitting with God and wrestling with their questions. You see, I identify with this scribe. Here I was, seminary trained, religious professional, supposed to be a voice of expertise. You think you know it all when you leave seminary. Supposed to know all the things about God and all the things about scripture and all the things about church. I believe that God answers prayers. And that's what I told people. God was a healer. And that's what I told people. And then my 31 year old friend died of cancer, found myself wondering, God, why couldn't you answer that prayer? But I had been taught to lean into my questions. I had been taught that to do this was to move away from the presence of God. Maybe you were taught things like that too. Yet I found God in new ways. Not when I was consumed with having the right answers, but when I cared about genuine questions. That's why I love the work I do now. You see, I'm on a campus, right? Where people are consumed with the right answers. They study hard, especially this week, to put the right answers on midterms. They spend hours in the library, knee deep in copious research so that they can be seen as the expert in their fields. Yet for all of the things that they know when they come into my office, I get to sit in the tension of what they don't know. Why won't my parents accept me? Why did my sister have to die so young? What am I supposed to do with my life? Can I be a person of faith and clinically depressed? We find God in the creeds. We find God in the confessions. And we also find God in the questions. So I give the scribe some credit for choosing not to be the expert that day and simply approaching Jesus with his questions. And I encourage you tonight to not be afraid to approach Jesus with the questions of your own. And we don't always get the literal answer to our questions, but the scribe does get an answer from Jesus. Jesus responds saying the most important commandment is "Here, Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your being, with all of your mind and all of your strength. Jesus is a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish man. So this brother recognized the words because he had seen them in his own sacred texts. These are the words that our Jewish neighbors refer to as the Shema. And in some traditions, they recite these words at least twice a day. Many see these these words as the central affirmation of their faith. And there's much we can focus on here. Many have been curious about the parts of our anatomy that Jesus calls us to love God with. Because he was talking to an intellectual, he emphasized the mind. You don't have to leave your mind at the door when you come into a place of faith. Some have wondered about what it means to love God with your heart, which is to embody that Greek word agape, which is a love that is so big and so wide that it transcends human conditions. Some have wondered what it means to love God with all of your strength, although many believe that originally that word might be our translation for utmost. To love God with your utmost was to love God with your means, namely your finances. And I find it interesting that we've strayed away from that interpretation in America. But tonight, as I reflect on what it means to be black, to be woman, to be queer, I want to focus on the command to love God with nice charcuterie boards that you only use for special occasions back there. And because of the oppression of our world, so many people do their best to compartmentalize their life the way they catalog their cabinets. When we go into certain spaces, we showcase the parts of us that will be accepted, affirmed, and appreciated. We downplay or hide the aspects of our identity that won't be accepted because we know it's not safe. This is what I was told to do in my faith community. I was accepted for the parts of me that felt acceptable. But at some point in my journey, I recognized that no matter how safe it felt to do this on the outside, I would continue to hurt on the inside. I learned I could not love God and continue to live in fragments. I got to a place where I realized that a fragmented life meant a fragmented faith. And I wish I could tell you, that I came to this conclusion by reading the works of the great theologians like St. Thomas Aquinas or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Karl Barth. I wish I could tell you that I came to this place by listening to sermons from T.D. Jakes or Bishop Will Littleman or one of my favorites, Dr. Barbara Brown Taylor, or whoever else is popular on TVN right now. But tonight, I thank the Lord, L-O-R-D, for the Lord. L-O-R-D-E. You see, it was. It was the great teacher, the great poet, the, the great writer, Audrey Lord, who said that over and over again, I was asked to justify my existence and my work. Because I was a woman, because I was a lesbian, because I was not a separatist, because some piece of me was not acceptable, not because of my work, but because of my identity. This essay she composed, called Learning from the Sixties, is about her struggle to find acceptance in feminist and queer space because of her blackness, and to find acceptance in black space because she was a lesbian. Mother Audrey responds to the tension of living in a liminal space with these words. I had to learn to hold on to all the parts of me that served me in spite of the pressure to only express one to the exclusion of others. And I believe tonight that to love God with all of your being is to come before the presence of God, holding on to all the parts of you that serve you, even when the world tries to pressure you To only express one at the exclusion of others. Mother Audrey helped me to realize that if I was going to love God, it couldn't just be with some of my being. It couldn't just be with a few pieces of my being. But it had to be with all of my being. To quote the song of Leviticus, I had to come before the presence of the Holy with all of the pieces of me that make me fully me. I had to believe in an anti-black world, that in the presence of God, my blackness is beautiful. I had to believe in a queer-phobic world, that in the presence of God, I am queerly beloved. I had to believe in a vocation consumed with patriarchy, growing up in South Carolina, told at 15 that girls don't preach and women don't pastor, that there is a God who said that I would pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, and I would dare say your nine binary children too, will prophesy. I had to believe that if I was going to love God with all of me, that I could leave no parts of me behind. But not only does Jesus share what the first or the greatest is, but Jesus adds to it. Jesus allows this commandment to progress and to develop. Jesus allows it to evolve. And I know in the church the word evolution is a cuss word. (laughs) But beloved, it's okay for theologies to evolve. The indigenous theologian Tinker once said that theology moves forward when great questions show up. And perhaps because this scribe was courageous enough to ask the question. It gave Jesus the onus to reimagine the answer. Jesus says you need to love God and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, by now, you've been in a progressive church. You probably heard some insight. Pushing, Jesus is pushing us to flesh to put flesh on our love. The love we have for God by loving our neighbors. In a world that tells us we must do either or, we must learn how to do both We must learn how to chew gum and walk at the same time. We must learn how to grow in our love of God, as we grow in our love of neighbor, and as we grow in our love of self. But wait, because I hear your attention in the room. (laughs) Reverend some of the world's worst evil has been because of the selfishness of creation. Some horrible things we're dealing with right now politically have been because people prioritize themselves at the expense of other people. Now before you just dismiss tonight as some motivational self-help speech, we must remember the community that Jesus is talking to. Although he is addressing a scribe, Jesus is talking in public. Jesus is talking in a common space among the common people of the day. We must remember that the Gospels show us the compassion of Jesus and the words of Jesus were never just to dispute the powerful just because but they were to encourage and instruct the disenfranchised the dispossessed and the disinherited. Jesus knew he was directly addressing someone with prestige and esteem but Jesus knew that there were some people in the periphery who did not have that prestige or power. For people who were on the margins of Palestine, for people who were without economic security, for people who were under the weight of Roman imperialism, they needed to hear the message that in a world that does not love you, in a world that tells you you are unlovable, in a world that tells you you are not worthy, the most revolutionary, the most faithful, the most righteous thing you can do is find a way to love God. Find a way to love your neighbor and find the courage to love yourself. The addition that Jesus makes in this commandment was a response to the context of the times and the horrible conditions of his people. Jesus is doing what black and queer theologians do every day. Jesus is making theology contextual because it's not just enough to speak words about God, but you must know how those words will impact the people who are listening to move theology forward does not mean that we erase the value of our traditions. It doesn't mean that we disregard the essence of our faith. But what it does mean, Southeast Rounding Table, is that sometimes there are moments where we must be willing to reimagine, we must be willing to rethink, and we must be willing Expand the tenets of our faith as we look out into the world and see the conditions of the hurting and marginalized people in our midst. As Jesus sees the conditions of his people, he takes liberty to add more to the commandment Jesus saw a world where communities of folks who followed him were oppressed. Jesus saw a world where people were disregarded. Jesus says, I can't just tell them that to be spiritual is to be self-sacrificial because they already live in a world that doesn't care about them. I can't just tell them that to be faithful to God is to neglect themselves because they live in a world where they are already neglected. But if they're going to love God with all of their being, they must learn the practice of loving their community as they learn the practice of loving themselves. And lastly, the question becomes, how do you teach marginalized people? How do you teach people who are on the margins and the periphery of society to love God with all of their being, to love their neighbor, and to love themselves? How do you love yourself in a world that has told you that there is no value in that self? The answer that black queer elders have shown us over and over again is that for people with their white backs against the wall, self-love looks like self-definition. You see, again, I have to thank Mother Lord. Mother Lord taught me a thing or two about self-definition, but she's not the only one when she said that if I did not define myself for myself, that I would be crunched into other people's fantasies of me and eaten alive. Yeah. Mother Lord wasn't alone in this assertion. You know, one of our patron saints in Durham across the way is Reverend Pauline Murray. Yeah. And in an sermon, Reverend Murray stated that for oppressed people, self-love means to throw off the debasing stereotypes imposed upon us by a dominant society and engage in self-definition that allows us to achieve self-esteem. In a world that seeks to define you, the most loving thing you can do is find the agency and the courage to define yourself. The great black mystic, Howard tells the story of his grandmother, who was once enslaved in Florida. Thurman said that his grandmother always recited the words she heard from a black plantation preacher. This preacher did not have any formal education. Yet, whenever the preacher got up to preach, he always preached one message. He told those who were listening, you are not slaves. You are not inwards, words but you are God's children. In other words, our context might tell us that we are slaves, but we are God's children. Our oppressors may tell us that we are slaves. But we are God's children. Self-definition means that in a world that calls me filthy, I know I'm God's child. In a world that calls me a slave, I know I'm God's child. Howard Thurman learned self-definition from his grandmother. And I learned self-definition from my grandmother. You see, I remember being bullied as a child. Being called ugly, I hadn't grown into my features quite yet. <laughs> and I remember getting off the bus and coming into the house, my grandmother's house was crying. And my grandmother was sitting at this kitchen table, smoking her new ports and, and, uh, and drinking what she drank on, right? <laughs> and my grandmother said, You know what's all that fuss? And I told her what had happened at school. And she said the phrase that black women. I've been saying for generations she says girl it ain't about what they call you but it's about what you answer to anybody else had a grandmother like mine she taught me that i define myself by the ways I let the world address me and beloved you look don't understand black folk wisdom, but if you can't accept the value of self-definition from Audrey, if you can't accept it from Reverend Pauling, if you can't accept it from Dr. Howard Thurman, if you can't accept it from Betty Hill, then I hope you can accept it from the very God who created you. You see, when God was preparing to free and deliver the children of Israel, God told Moses that you are the one who will set my people free. And Moses said, God, when I go before these people to set them free and they ask me who sent me, what should I tell them? What should I tell oppressed people about you, God? What should I tell enslaved people about you, God? What should I tell people who've been failed by the world about you, God? God responds to Moses by simply saying, Moses, tell them that I am who I am. And for centuries we have wondered what this phrase means. But all I know is we see a God who is engaging in some self-definition. Moses. You can't put me in a box. Moses, you can't compartmentalize me. Moses place me in categories that work for you. But Moses, I am who I am. I will be who I will be, and I will become who I will become. So tonight, if you felt misunderstood, for those who felt misrepresented, for those who have sometimes felt forgotten because of who you are, I pray that tonight that you know that you don't have to be crushed into the definition of others. You don't have to fit into the boxes that society tries to place you in. You don't have to live into the stereotypes and the tropes that the world says about you. But beloved, as a child of God, when people ask or question the validity of who you are, you can look at them and say, I am who I am. I love who I am. I am becoming who I will become. Don't put me in a box. Don't force me into your categories. Don't hold me to your definitions, but as a black woman, as a queer woman, as a cold woman, I am who I am, but by the grace of God. And so, you have three questions. (laughs) I wanted to add one more, because it started (laughs) shaking. Before you even get to the three, I want you to engage tonight in some self-definition. So I want you to write on your paper, right before your questions, I am, and then just put a blank line. And I want you to use your own language to fill in the words. And even before you begin to question, may you invite the group to know you for who you are. Amen. 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 And I share.